0: Can I pause for a second and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and oh, our cool. typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast
1: that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Hey folks, Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show Thank you, yes, for joining us here on another fun-filled episode of The Brian Nichols Show. And you are in store for, of course, another phenomenal guest, as this week you are joined by Scott Bayer from Market Urbanism Report. Scott has been doing great work over there, uh, talking about different, actually, free market solutions to a lot of problems that are happening across a a lot of bigger cities. So with that being said, Scott joins us show to dig in more about market urbanism uh, and to discuss more about uh, not only his organization, but the podcast he has. Uh, Without further ado, on to the show, Scott Bayer here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thanks for having me, Brian. Absolutely, Scott. Well, thank you for uh, reaching out. And actually, I think it was Ethan specifically who reached out from uh, from your organization. And I, candidly, never heard of you guys. And as I started to do more and more research into what you specifically focus upon, um, your, your niche, if you will, in the uh, liberty movement, it uh, specifically actually discusses and focuses on what's kind of happening in America right now. And you look across the United States right now that the main Cries are for you know defunding the police in response to the uh, the Black Lives Matter protests over the past week or so. And with that being said, um, your organization really discusses uh, a way that we can, uh, I guess, really approach the uh, the the urban um the urban cities and and bring a free market approach with with policies to address the issues. And it can actually lead to a better solution than the uh, the top down bureaucratic uh you know in place solutions that we currently have. So with that being said, Scott. First and foremost, welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Let's kind of start off uh, with your an introduction to kind of yourself, your your liberty story, if you will, and what led you to, uh, I guess, founding this, this great organization, The Market Urbanism Report.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I'm a journalist who, uh, first and foremost, who uh, writes columns for several different magazines. I was writing for Forbes for a while. Uh, I write for the Independent Institute and Governing Magazine. And so that's my my, uh, living there. And that's what I do for a living. But I also own the, uh, market urbanism report, which at this point is an organization. Uh, we're, we're about to turn it into a nonprofit organization and really try to build it out into a think tank. And it is, it is, a uh, really, it's expanding the idea of market urbanism, which market urbanism is a, wider movement. Uh, I'm not the only person who writes about it, but uh, there are several different market urbanism institutions. And it it is a group of people who are generally libertarian, and they believe in in applying classical liberal free market policy into cities and uh, have a very specific set of issues that we usually focus on.
1: So those specific issues that you focus on, let's dig into them um, specifically, shall we? So, with that being said, let's kind of focus on some of the main areas that uh, the Market uh, Market Urbanism Report has has really, I guess, maybe addressed in in recent times, uh, and maybe some some wins you've had uh, with with you know actually getting some uh, some success stories for uh, your organization.
0: Yeah, well, so if I if I were to define Market Urbanism, and this is usually two different ways I like to define it, I think on one hand it's a theory in the sense that uh, people who fit under the market urbanism label are asking the the philosophical question of how would cities function if they were fully private entities? So if all the public services and obviously all the the growth mechanisms were all private and based on just the relationship between consumer and producer – and so in a lot of ways, it's talking about things like free private cities and charter cities and special economic zones. And um, I, I call it theoretical because most cities around the world do not, you know, focus on are not are, are not privately run, they're government run. And so where market urbanism pivots then from that philosophical question is it presents a more... Pragmatic and politically likely set of reforms that today's cities can actually use. So even if they are government run, which most are, uh, what are some market oriented reforms that they can use? And so the three categories that market urbanism usually focuses on are housing, transportation, and service and public service provision. And, And we're really asking how can how can we bring more market focus into those three things?
1: So how would that pertain right now to what obviously was going on with Black Lives Matter, right? And then the protest focused specifically on the police unions. Because, I mean, police unions and, and the and the policing just by and large from a government standpoint has been grossly expanded over the past, at least the past, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. And we've seen constantly in, in the past five years or so an increase in these, these cases. And I, I guess it raises the question is, how would a, a, quote unquote, market urbanist approach to this um, maybe help rectify the, the very real problem that exists in a lot of our, especially, um, you know, minority communities where it seems that there is a lot of disproportionate um, interaction with, with law enforcement?
0: Yeah, so I think there's a number of market urban, I think it, it uh, market urbanism in this case would gel somewhat with the, what the, lar- the larger uh, libertarian movement has been saying, which is, we need to break up the unions. Uh, we need to, uh, you know, in qualified immunity. We need to at least experiment with some privatization options. Um, I think that what Minneapolis just just decided on, where they're going to quote unquote disband their police, I think um, an interesting experiment from that could come from that is the idea of further segmenting the police. So you might have a number of police who. Actually, are designed to fight hard crime, but then you don't necessarily send the police to to you know address the mentally ill or um, or do traffic enforcement or enforce transit fares. You know things that you don't necessarily need an armed cop <laughs> to go and do. Right. I think you could outsource that to people who are not are not armed and might be more specialized in doing those things and are probably like. You know, probably cheaper as well. Well, I was gonna um, say that, that
1: raises my question, and I don't mean to cut you off, but like, that just seems to make like the most logical sense. Cause I mean, a lot, a lot of people right now are, are asking the very, just, I mean, it, it is truly like the, the most honest question. What do we do? Like, what is the solution to this problem? Because, They've gone through, you know, pretty much a half century of going between Republican presidents, Democrat presidents, Republican Congresses, Democrat Congresses, Republican Supreme Court justices, or Democrat Supreme Court justices, and nothing seems to really stick, and nothing seems to really progress. And then I, I just, I mean, I see people interacting on a daily basis with, you know, what, what, you know, they do with their grocery stores or when they're interacting with their neighbors. It's like. Look at, look at this this ability to have this voluntary conversation this voluntary conversation this voluntary interaction, and isn't that so much better than having this this force that's that you know pushed from the thumb of the government and like think about it right if you're going to go ahead and hire an exterminator for your house you're not going to hire an exterminator who's going to blow your house up and catch your entire house on fire you're going to hire the guy who's going to be the most precise and he's going to do the job that he needs to do and he does it the most efficiently the most effectively but also the most cost uh cost efficient and, and with that in mind so think about what we would be able to do. And and to your point, when we started to section away the the responsibilities of police, because I mean, if we're going to be real, right, there's a a Twitter profile. It's actually funny. I just talked about this with Matt Kibbe on my show um, here this past week. Uh, We were talking about uh, a crime a day on Twitter. And you think about that. Every single one of those crimes, technically, a police officer is supposed to be able and know to enforce. But they they've been given so much now that they have to to, to focus on that it really it, it's become more of like this um it, it's almost like this, this faceless NPC kind of world and if we were to kind of bring it more back to a police are performing a service for us and treat it as a service so like you said you you have um, welfare checks you have a specific organization you can call that that performs welfare checks and they have entirely non lethal means of if somebody were to to come at come at them because it's simply a welfare check. Like that's something that I think we would see a very real free market solution start to to answer the call. But right now, I mean, there is no real market solution and it is really because we have that monopoly on the police force. And I mean, fingers crossed, a market urbanist approach would be kind of the start there. So I, I didn't mean to interject uh, with, with your answer there, but I think maybe that might be uh, a very cooked, like a very um, clear-cut way to explain you know exactly how this could help with a very real problem that everybody's seeing right before their eyes
0: well yeah and, and I think a way to think about this problem also is to use economic theory so the idea of public choice theory is that you know public actors and public agencies have a number of competing interests that prevent them from from really like the 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 main incentive and outcome is not necessarily to serve the public is to serve their own interests and their own bureaucratic interests and so that actually is a competing goal of providing good services and so i think you're seeing that with a lot of police departments and police unions which is you know for example they don't necessarily want to get ba- get rid of bad cops why not? Because bad cops pay union dues and, and and they and relinquishing them makes the agency look bad. And so there's all kinds of like self-interested, self-protecting style behaviors that take place, quite frankly, in every government agency. And there's no reason that police departments would not also be subject to those public choice problems.
1: So right now we have a bunch of people who who are awake. I mean I say awake because there's nothing else to do. I mean pretty much all professional sporting has been, you know, completely shut down because of the COVID-19 pandemic lockdowns everybody just more tuned in for better or for worse. I mean, Twitter right now is just a steaming pile because of people <laughs> just being on 24, seven on like an 11 yeah. all the time.
0: We need, we need sports. We need sports. That's, that's for so sure.
1: bad. Hey, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll give a ray of hope for, uh, for sports is that governor Abbott said that when the time comes, the NFL season opens that the, the Dallas Cowboys can have half the stadium full and like, Hey, you know what? An NFL game with at least half the fans, I'll take it. I mean, I'll yeah. take some real football, but I mean with that being said, right now we have a real chance to reach out to people and start to show them where these kind of these solutions are common sense, right? And I and I think one of the things that we're starting to see is that there's a very big disconnect between and I mean if I were to take this and play it 40 years in the future, it will also stay true. There's a very big disconnect between the demographic that votes, which is tend to be the older generations and the mm-hmm. demographic that has to face the consequences of said vote, which is the younger generation. And, yeah. and we've seen, I mean, obviously we've seen this taking place over the past, you know, 60 years, especially since, um, the New Deal. And we've seen it get progressively worse and worse, and especially this kicking the can down the road mentality. And a lot of, I would say our generation, right? And, and I'm going to lump in Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X. We'll, we'll just take the, the three generations that are closest. We're the ones now who actually com- compose the largest voting uh, demographic. In the United States, if you combine all three of us versus the, the older generations, it's the, the the boomers and um I think it's the, the, the greatest generation is it the silent generation, the great i, f- I forget which one it is. Yeah. Regardless, anyways, we're bigger, and that's all that matters. So, with that being said, that's why there's a lot of people out there on the streets who are looking to find those answers, right? And I think the problem with a lot of libertarian solutions, and heck, it doesn't have to be you know specifically libertarians in its solution, just a, a solution that actually will have a tangible you know outcome that's a positive outcome. Like I don't care if it's necessarily libertarian, I want to make sure it works. Um, and I I tend to believe that's a libertarian answer because libertarian solutions, whenever they're put into place, do actually work. Um, so with that being said, right now, you know, market urbanism I think would be very appealing, you no, know, to the the cities, yet it seems that the the demographic that's composing the very vocal base of these movements tend to be much more in favor of you know the the progressive wing of not just the democratic party but also you know some that flirt with the likes of antifa and 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 organizations like that so i guess my my question to you would be how do we go out of our way and actually reach these people um i mean scott they they don't yeah. want to listen to us right i mean they're already shut uh, off will they I, listen
0: so so my experience is a little bit different and i think this is where this is what's unique about market urbanism. Um, and so a lot of, you know, you started by asking me about policing, although I would say that market urbanism doesn't focus a whole lot on policing. That's not our main issues. Our main issue is housing and transportation. And so the, th- the interesting thing about market urbanism is that um, I've, I've run demographic studies and surveys of my audience. And it's actually more it's people who are likelier to identify, believe it or not. Um, as liberal and progressive or DSA or, um, you know, a socialist.
1: Where's the disconnect? I don't get it.
0: Well, so what's going on there because there's also quite a sizable libertarian and conservative audience as well with market urbanism. But what's happening there is the, 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 the right wing side of it likes the market aspect and the left wing side of it tends to like the urbanism aspect because they, live in cities and they do see some of the failures of of government policy in their cities and so they are looking for solutions and so for example the the main market urbanism issue has always been and probably always will be the housing issue and the reason that a lot of a lot of the reason a lot of cities have become so unaffordable as far as their housing is because of restrictive zoning
1: let's, let's dig into that because obviously that's a main crux of what you guys focus on so zoning and, and I think yeah. we, before we get into this I think it's it's good to preface that everything that we're talking about from the policing to the transportation to the the, the zoning everything is connected and it's important to to make sure we're, we're always keeping that in mind how everything does have this kind of domino effect so with that being said kind of go ahead there Scott and uh, elaborate with the uh, the housing
0: well yeah I th- so I think the common denominator with all of it is government mismanagement and the, you know, the, the negative consequences of having the government control something. But I mean, I think with with restrictive zoning, people do not realize how much the housing market is controlled by the government. So you can look at any zoning map in the and you can look at any city in the United States and there will be a master plan written for it and a zoning code written for it. And that zoning is almost always extremely restrictive. So, for example... If, we, if you were to look at the Philadelphia uh, zoning map, which, by the way, Philadelphia is, is not as bad as other cities, but there's like a small minority of the city that can be zoned for high rises. But the rest of it uh, is zoned for buildings that are effectively just like the common row homes that you find throughout Philly. Yep. So if a developer wants and so there are actual neighborhoods that are gentrifying and they they need to build more housing because there's a lot of demand I'm thinking of places like Fishtown, you know, it actually would be helpful if developers could go in and build six or seven story buildings or more to build to to create more housing supply and cool some of the prices. But the zoning prevents that. And so a lot of a a lot of the market urbanism advocacy is centered on things like that, you know, the sort of the entrenched regulations that prevent the housing market from being actually market oriented and elastic and free flowing. And, um, liberals kind of cut kind of rally around that because they see the economic logic of it. You know, it's like there's a whole young generation of people who are having to rent and can't afford housing. And we are educating them on the government regulations that are, that is causing that problem. And so it's sort of like, they'll look past their, their, um, their political biases per se to accept the message that we are advancing.
1: So no. then the question always is, is raised up. Well, it's like, well, hey, the government needs to have some type of regulation, right? Like that's how we keep things in order, and that's how we we avoid chaos. And one need look no, you know, no further than the past week or so of riots that were taking place to see that's just a bunch of you know crap. Um, but I mean, wh- where I where are we losing them then? I guess in Getting them to actually go and support this, this, you know, it really ends up being a libertarian solution to the, the problems. How, how are we missing the, the disconnect when we're trying to advance this? Because it seems like, you know, if you were to present this in, you know, a very eloquent PowerPoint presentation at a city council meeting and it was going to be voted on that night and, you know, based on your presentation, I think people would be like, Hey, this makes sense. Let all in favor. Aye. And you get like 90% of the vote. Why are we not seeing this take place in cities at a faster rate?
0: Well, I, I can't really speak to other, to other issues. Um, you know, the housing one is the one that I'm most familiar with. I can't really say why, why libertarians are losing the younger generation on other issues, but I know with housing that, that we're actually not losing them. I, I think that, um, I think it's more generational than it is ideological. So, if you do go to some of those meetings that you're describing, like, say, a public hearing for a zoning change, the younger people, to the extent they show up at all, are usually actually for the zoning change. Like, they, they recognize that it will create more housing. And so they are looking for the, mar- the free market outcome, even though they won't come out and use that language necessarily. They are looking for the more market-oriented outcome. It's the older generation that already owns their home, it does not want the natural competition coming into their neighborhood of more housing. uh, They are usually the ones who are coming out opposed to those rezonings. So if I were to, if I were to go into those cities and I have to some degree actually, um, and like give a PowerPoint on why we need to change the zoning and why this will like cool the housing prices and, and allow more neighbors to come in and, and, you know, make the city denser and everything. That's actually something that that a lot of older generation and cities will be opposed to. And not all of them are even, uh, you know, some of them are sometimes they're liberal and sometimes they're conservative. So it's not, like I said, it's not necessarily ideological. I think it's more that they're seeing their own financial interests and they they interpret some financial interest from being able to block additional housing supply.
1: Well, we see that with, um, with with Trump, really. I mean, when you look at what he's doing with the trade war. Um, so, sure. you know, I mean, we, we yeah, see same, this yeah. same thing. Yeah, yeah, we see this like emotional. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to generalize or stereotype, but like we see this emotional boomer instinct that like any change bad, and and like, that's that's not true. Like change is always happening. If you're not changing, then you're dying. Like because that means you're not you're not growing. So, I mean, to look at cities when they do change inevitably i mean you you mentioned philadelphia specifically that's that's where i hail and you know the city is seeing still a boom especially over the past five years and there is a demand for housing and you know i i say that as i can hear literally you know you know saws next door to my my home right now for a house in a current flip like there this is happening all across the city and there's a demand for it and yet you're only allowed to really pick from it. It really becomes this um, this this one pie kind of mentality. Like there's only so much pie to go around, and the mm-hmm. sad reality is is because it's kind of true. Because the government has basically said that there is no more pie to go around. Whereas, as to your point, there is that demand. People are asking for the the high rises. They're asking for you know the affordable housing because gosh, they need it. They because they, they, it doesn't exist. Because it can't exist right now. Because if you want to own a home, property taxes are so expensive. And and you, you go down the list. The, the responsibilities of being a homeowner. You you have to be you know at, at least able to make those mortgage payments. And a lot of people just can't do that because they're you know riddled with student loan debt and and. You know, just on top of that you're trying to work a couple jobs just to, to make rent um you know it's it's tough so people are looking for the solution so I guess that's kind of segue to the future right Scott so where are we seeing right. some some of the the market urbanism winning and having some success let's let's kind of walk through some cities that are, are leading the charge maybe that can be examples of where market urbanism is having success okay
0: and yeah I think I think winning is a bit of a strong word. Um, I mean, everybody likes
1: to win. I I had to throw out one of those strong words, right?
0: Yeah. I I mean, I I would love it if it were the case, but I I think we're seeing incremental reforms. So Minneapolis, which by the way, also happened to be the city that is, that is taking on this police reform uh, a couple months ago, or it seems to me it was, I guess last summer, they passed a broad zoning reform where, you would not be able to have just single family zoning throughout the city. You would be able to have duplexes by right. So on any given lot that was that was previously zoned for only one home to go on that lot, a developer can build two. Or if you're the homeowner, you can build like an, an additional dwelling unit in your backyard or something like that. So, I mean, that's the type of thing that could pretty dramatically increase the housing supply throughout the city. Uh, and then Oregon, the the state of Oregon, uh, passed that sort of zoning law for the entire state. And they are, there's a, there's one Senator in California who was trying to, to pass an even more significant upzoning bill that would imply that would apply to all of California. So, I mean, you're seeing that, like, you're kind of seeing these city and state housing bills that would allow more development by right across the entire city. And I think that would be, um, that would be the closest thing to a market urbanism win. And so, the again, kind of the interesting thing about it is that the people who are passing those bills are not libertarians. They're actually Democrats, and they are liberal and progressive in every way imaginable. And they are um, – they're passing the bill kind of from a perspective of like this is a good social just- – like this is a good uh, step towards social justice because it enables – Low-income, low-income minorities to be able to live in traditionally rich white neighborhoods like that's what happens when you allow upzoning is you allow more people of lower means to be housed um, in wealthier areas. And so, yeah, it's kind of like the social justice language is being applied to it, but you could just as well call it a free market reform.
1: Yeah, well I mean yeah, people but, always hate whenever sales guys use sales language and like the reality is is that we have to know who are who are marketing to, right? So in this <laughs> case, you 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 just you hit the nail on the head. We're talking to progressive democrats. So yeah, you know, if, if we're leading the charge as libertarians trying to make this, this reform, then we have to speak that language. And in this case, yes, you have to speak of it. Well, look at, look at this. This is going to create so much opportunity for, you know, low income uh, individuals who t- traditionally tend to be minorities. Look at this opportunity that you are now incentivizing for them to have a, a nice new home in downtown. Downtown. Yeah. How about that? And, and that yeah. is now, now you're, you're taking the argument. From an emotional standpoint, to their their playing field, because I mean, this is just the reality of the situation. With whenever you have debates with folks on the left, and I'm I'm stereotyping just by and large because in general the left tends to use more emotional language. And if you bring that kind of position to them on their their turf at the onset of the conversation, then you're already kind of starting the conversation from a, a stance of agreement, right? Now, now right. it's not a matter of your facts versus feelings, Ben Shapiroism. It's a matter of hey. I'm on your side. We both have the, the same goal and here's how it's going to, to be successful. And I think that's where libertarians kind of, um, you know, we, we get afraid of making friends with people because we, we come across as being, quote unquote, not pure enough. Um, it's like, I'm sorry, if you want to actually get things done, like what Justin Amash is doing. If, if Justin Amash can get qualified immunity through the Congress right now, but by working with Democrats as the only libertarian in Congress, I will take that as a win for libertarians. That is a huge win.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't, I guess you can't enter um, the conversations with like the don't tread on me mentality of (laughs) of, I'm antisocial and like you you do have to, you have to communicate that you share the same values as the people you're trying to work with. And in this case, it's, it's sincere. Like I, I do, I do think upzoning helps low income minorities. And so I have no problem working with people like that or people who espouse those values to try to get cities upzoned because I think it will actually help people. Um, But then of course, like if you're, if you're working with Republicans, then you have to use a different language. So if I were to work with say a real estate developer or interest uh, or some sort of business coalition that might be Republican, but we're trying to get a certain area rezoned, then you're, then you're trying to use the language of like markets and finance and, and property rights and things like that because and so it's a, it's a different type of language but you know it ultimately you're trying you're working towards the same goal in either case
1: right well and it comes down, i mean really it does come down to just knowing knowing who your audience is and being able to convey and really to sell your idea and uh, right. unfortunately we have a lot of um, folks in the liberty movement who think they're the sales folks but they're more of like the engineers and that's okay like to be the engineer is okay and and we need engineers. I mean, my day job is in in telecom sales and I mean you need to have the the systems engineer and the solutions engineer who can come with you and kind of demo how things work and and explain how you know the how the, the pieces all come together like I mean just keeping it very blatant rate or a very uh, you know high level right so in 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 the sales world though, if you're presenting that to a CEO, their, their eyes are gonna glass over. You need to show how it's going to benefit them and how it's gonna benefit their yeah. company. You have to add value. And, and that's one thing that the Libertarian Party, and I'd say the Libertarians by and large have not been focused on doing is adding value to people where they are currently. Is, and we've, we've been way too focused on trying to just completely, you know, get people to, you know, do a 180 from their ideology, you know, from you know, zero to 100. Boom. Like, you go from Republican to Libertarian overnight. It doesn't happen that way. And we have to help them make those incremental steps. And then once they, like, they're on board with it, say, oh, by the way, this is a Libertarian position. Like, I think that's the best kind of little bait and switch. and Not even a bait and switch. It's like a bait in reality. It's like, hey, you, I, we work together. And by the way. This is a thing that, like, actually is, like, a really big tenet of my ideology, by the way, and here's how it pertains to everything else, and then you can start leading down the rabbit hole, and that's, you know, kind of what you're – you talk about housing and and how, you know, with that, transportation, public services, I mean, it it all is connected, so – Let's kind of um you know, as we get to to wrap up here, Scott, talk about some some you know of the other things that right now specifically you guys are, are maybe working on or, or looking at um as we move forward, not only here in 2020 as we go towards an election year, but you know as as cities are starting to grow and and people se- seem to be going more and more towards cities. Well, well, is that going to continue with COVID 19? I don't know. I'll defer to you. Um, so the floor is yours, Scott.
0: Yeah. Well, I'd say the the second big thing that we're working on, and again, this is this is the type of thing that's very bipartisan. Uh, people who are not libertarian can still very much accept the message and that's transportation and so we're making we're making a number of arguments there uh, one of them is that we want to end the subsidies for roads you know and and make it and not make it so that people are effectively like forced into driving because that that's what that's the only thing that's being like really propped up and subsidized by the government mm-hmm. um, another transportation initiative is, breaking up the public transport unions. So just like with the police, there's a lot of public choice problems and a lot of inefficiencies from having, say like a New York MTA or a SEPTA that is basically like these top down kind of union controlled bureaucracies that run the transport and run them very poorly. And then a a third, I'd say a third big transportation initiative is then deregulating the private transit market. So allowing things like rideshare and scooters and bike share, which are often really strictly regulated, um, but we we don't think they should be. We think they should be allowed to compete with the other options and, and be able to scale. So it's like that's that third thing, particularly, you don't really have to be libertarian to believe that, because a lot of people on the left who are pro-environment do see the value of having like scalable bike share services. And so they're very much on board with the market urbanism message of like, yeah, let these companies like like deregulate them, allow them to actually function and don't just kick them out of the city.
1: Well, right well, now right we now. have an opportunity for uh, – I mean fingers crossed – an opportunity for us to uh, advance – a a real solution, and that is uh, focusing that of yes, market urbanism. So yes, you can head over to marketurbanismreport.com. Scott Byer from the Market Urbanism Podcast. Mar- Scott, it's a great time to have you on the show. Number one, uh, but number two, where can folks go ahead and follow you if they want to go ahead and find you on social media?
0: Well, obviously, marketurbanismreport.com is the blog. I'd say we have a number. We have a Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook feeds. But if you really, if you want to get really to the heart of the movement, you got to be a member of the Market Urbanism Report Facebook group. You got to be in it. So ask to join and we'll let you in.
1: All right. So what we'll do to help make it easier for folks is we will include all those links in the show notes. So folks head over to the show notes, scroll down, click the link, it'll bring you right to where you need to go. So with that being said, Scott Byer, thanks for joining The Brian Nickel Show. Thank you, Brian all right folks that's going to wrap up my conversation with Scott Bayer here on the Brian Nichols show do me a favor go ahead and follow Scott over on social media and support market urbanism but also go ahead and do me a favor follow me on social media at bNicholsLiberty, both on Twitter Facebook and Minds.com. But oh, that being said folks email me Brian at Brian Nichols show any guest suggestions tips ideas tricks anything I hey, hate if you just want to say hi I like to say hi to you guys uh, so that being said folks please uh, enjoy the episode share with family and friends with that being said I'm out of here for this week Brian Nichols signing off here in the The Brian Nichols Show for Scott Baer. We'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at BrianNicholsShow.com.